welcome to the show. What's that music? Well, here at the Willie Show Recovery Stories Podcast, we would like to acknowledge that we've officially gotten into spooky season! my favorite. It is your favorite. Hi, my name is Willie. I'm your Grateful Garbage Head in Recovery. Willie Show Recovery Stories Podcast is a podcast exploring addiction and recovery through inspiring personal accounts. And I'm here with the ever so spooky Webmaster Zeta. Yes, hello. How did yo, 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 Webmaster Zeta. What's up? Yo, if nothing changes, nothing changes. Right? Correct. We talked about that. Yeah. But what if what if everything changes? What happens? <laughs> if everything changes, if everything changes, everything changes. And that is exactly what this podcast is about this week. Say what up to Sunny, our dog, <laughs> crying in the background because we just had chicken and onion pizza. And so what I want to talk about, I want to keep it brief today because we have su- we have such a powerful uh, interview with one another back-to-back of my yes. heroes in recovery. I, I was super psyched to hear oh, that Mike was going to be so good. on an episode. Like, um, I'm, I'm pretty... So what I was this. saying is if, oh, okay. if everything changes, everything changes. Uh-huh. And Mike opens right up and he's so vulnerable and he lives a beautiful life. And I was thinking, I kind of, I have a really good life, you know, like being with you and being in recovery Mm -hmm. and the gifts that come with working a program, whatever program it is. um, And everybody knows what, you know, anyone that's listened. And if you're new to the program, we love you. And um, it's just, it's a terrifying time. Yeah. Not just that it's spooky season, right? No, I know. Um, so I want to take a second and um, I just want and do this with me. You can just look at your feet, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. And you too, the listener. And just take like a, a deep breath. And, and, um, and realize that everything's okay right this second inside of your body and, and, and here with us because you're with us now. And we're going to go on a journey, and it's a hopeful journey, and it's a powerful message. And I just want to remind you that we love you, and you can reach out to us, willyshowpodcast at gmail.com. And um, I don't want i don't want to take too much, you know, I don't want to. Yeah. I, I think we have something really special. So um, let's go, go ahead and get right into this week's Garbage Head Fairy Tales. Let's do it. With my friend. Mike. My really good friend. <laughs> <laughs> it works every time. <laughs> All right, we're in for it now. Sounds good, I'm ready. All right. <laughs> the Willie Show Recovery Stories Podcast. Yeah. It's a long intro. Need to 
good friend of mine. I'm very excited. I'm probably overexcited, so I'll try to um, calm myself down a little bit. There's this long laugh. <laughs> Mike, welcome to the podcast. Willie, thank you, man. It's an honor to be here. It's an, it's an honor to have you here. And um, two weeks in a row, I've gotten to sit down with people that I have a lot of respect for and that, in my opinion, kind of command respect and showed and sh- showed me like um it showed me what respect actually is you know what i mean cuz i yeah there was a lot of things i didn't understand mm. coming into this program um what was respect like for you growing up respect was uh you know i come from a a powerful family mm-hmm. there were 10 of us five boys and four girls my father was a New York City cop, and uh, so it was. I didn't know not much about respect. Mm-hmm. You know, I at a young age, I was brought up Catholic. You had to go to church, but the minute I could, I snuck out the back. Mm-hmm. The streets had me way before church. I just didn't believe in that, and I was going to hell anyway. So I just uh, the street really allured me as a young age, and I had older brothers who. I respected them, but I didn't understand them. Mm-hmm. You know, they were altar boys. They did the right thing. They uh, paper routes. Well, I had none of that. Man. Mm-hmm. I wanted that easy, quick, quick fix. At a young age, I just found alcohol. I'm a quiet person, and uh, 11 years old, I found this thing called alcohol, and it worked, man. Mm-hmm. It really, really worked. So I guess lack of respect came early. Mm-hmm. Lack of respect for myself and others, you know, because once I start drinking and getting high, I don't respect nothing. Did you resent uh, police right away, being that your dad was a cop? I did. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, and I looked at him as like a fool, you mm-hmm. know, because I said, look at this guy working two jobs to support the family. And here I get, I get hand me down pants, hand me down bicycle. And I see the guy on the corner dealing drugs and I fast money. That's what I want to be. I want to be the tough guy. Mm-hmm. And I looked at my pop as not a tough guy. In reality, he was one of the toughest son of a guns I know, man. But it just, uh, yeah, you got to bring me back sometimes. I... <laughs> oh, it's all right. You know, the other thing I was wondering about, because I always, we talk a lot outside of, um, outside of like the 12-step groups and stuff, and you get so much out of riding um, motorcycle. Mm-hmm. When did motorcycle become part of your life? Since I was two. My brothers, two of them are cops. Mm-hmm. And when they'd hear a cop or an ambulance, they'd run to the door. Mm-hmm. At two, if I heard a motorcycle, I'd run to the door. It just had me. And I didn't grow up with them. I didn't mm-hmm. have family members who helped. But that whole lifestyle, just just the freedom. I loved like, shows. Then came Bronson. Mm-hmm. I love the movies Easy Rider. Easy Rider. Yeah. And yeah. I just, uh, and I ended up getting into motorcycles. What was your first motorcycle? Or do you remember when you first were able to buy a motorcycle? Well, it was, I got a big check from the city. I was working for the city. Mm-hmm. Got a big check, and I knew I'd either stick it all on my arm. Mm-hmm. But I ended up buying a motorcycle from a drug dealer in Lower East Side of Manhattan. I ended up getting a job from this guy delivering drugs on that motorcycle, <laughs> <laughs> which is crazy. I grew up in uh, Ellenville, 
and uh, my one friend who he's gone now, mm-hmm. you know, and he's one of these guys that um, nobody. And when he passed away, we weren't talking about all oh, the disease or you know, but he was like me, and he was a you know fast, easy kind of guy. He loved motorcycles. Mm-hmm. I I've got no business on a motorcycle. I I was twelve, thirteen years old, and I crashed a little fifty cc dirt bike. Road rash everywhere, and I said, I got no business doing that. But, like, you with alcohol, was like, oh, no, but this, I like this. So, anyways, my friend, you know, we would we would all have plans to go out and drink and do what we do, but all the, the drug dealers would come by on their motorcycles. And at the time, it was all those, you know, they call them crotch rockets, yeah. you know, the, 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 the fast. And, um, you know, and they'd just give him a bike, and off he'd go, you know, and 100 miles an hour, up 52, and he just loved that, loved that lifestyle, you know. Yeah, it was a big, big... It's like the only thing that ever really brought me peace. Even when I would be kicking drugs, narcotics, mm-hmm. I'd get on that bike and I'd, I'd find some peace. I was sick as a dog, mm-hmm. but I knew I had to shut that motorcycle off, man. And I just... It's the only thing that ever gave me peace. And I talked a lot of trash. I'd be sitting in a park with a ratty motorcycle held together by zip ties and duct tape and... uh Tell the guy next to me all the places I'm going, mm-hmm. and I wasn't going nowhere. You know, <laughs> <laughs> what's riding a bike like for you now? Because oh, you still God. ride motorcycles, right? Love it. And you know, when I first got clean and sober, I thought I'd have to give up the bike because a lot of associates and uh, I associated drinking and drugging with motorcycles. Mm-hmm. And I came into the rooms and I had a ratty motorcycle, and next thing I know, I'm meeting guys in the rooms who have bikes. Next thing I know, they got rims. They got a uh, seat for me. They got tanks for me. And next thing I know, I'm building. Guys in recovery? Yeah. yeah. Piece by piece. <laughs> piece by piece. Uh-huh. And next thing I know, I have a beautiful bike. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember the first time I went cross country, a buddy of mine, I was up uh, state with my girls. We were camping. And he said, Mike, you want to go to Sturgis, which is in South Dakota? Mm-hmm. I looked at my wife. I says, uh, what do you think about if I go to Sturgis? She said, I don't care. Just come back alive. Me and him jumped on the bikes, and we took off to Sturgis for a motorcycle week and uh, ended up breaking down on the way out there. And We hooked up with a couple going out there, and they said, where are you guys staying? We said, we don't have a clue. We're just going to go. Said, You're not going to get a place to stay. you got to book like years in advance. He said, you know, you guys like seem like good guys. We're staying at a camp. The only thing you can't do is drink or drink it high. I said, well, both of us are clean and sober. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. <laughs> That's been a journey of my life. You this know? is how it's, this is, is that like a metaphor for recovery in general for you? Angels, I call them. Angels. Yeah. Just showing up when... Just showing up. So know? so I'll ask you some some questions. You know, like, do you think recovery is bullshit? Do you think there's any crap to it? None whatsoever. 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 It is, I mean, for me, it's the best thing that I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And I know without recovery, I am nothing. Mm-hmm. I'm not a father. I'm not a husband. I'm not a grandfather. I'm not a son. I'm a junkie running around self-will. Oh, so I know recovery. It's the best thing that ever happened. 
you know, and I wish it on everybody, some type of recovery. Because mm-hmm. everybody's hurting. The world's hurting, man. So that we have a, and it's a high standard, you know, these 12 steps are high standard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but uh, it's so worthwhile. The world's a better place because me and you ain't drinking again. You ain't kidding, today, brother. Man. You ain't kidding. You know. So going from where you were talking about, you know, and I appreciate your honesty. And um, I've been, one of the things people know that um, have continually listened is that I love talking about all that nonsense. Mm-hmm. The, the stories, because for people that have doubts, when they hear things like, um, you know, you, you know, instead of getting a paycheck, you're gonna stick it into your arm, and they say, "Oh shit, I was that type of person," yeah. you know. But, um, but because I know you, because I have like a relationship with you, right? You're one of the people whose message in my early recovery really stuck and resonated, you know, with me. So, <clears throat> I don't want to dwell on your war story too too much you know but i appreciate your honesty right off the gate but what how do you in any way that you can explain it how do you get from there you know Mm. that that misery to a place where you could even accept something as radical as the 12 steps because i can't imagine that um a younger version of you would be interested in doing 12 steps of recovery no Oh, no, 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 no. So how do you describe the spark? Well, the spark came from somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I was working down the Lower East Side of Manhattan doing a lot of narcotics and a lot of uh, dirty things, you know, to support my habit. And, uh, and I had a real good job. I worked for the city. Mm-hmm. And I had a buddy of mine I didn't see in quite a while. So I thought he was dead or on another methadone clinic or in jail. And he showed up in my place of work. And he looked good. And I questioned him. I said, fly, man. You look good. What happened? So he described what happened. He went to hustle a priest in Queens for a couple of bags of dope, get some money from him. Mm-hmm. And the priest hustled him, got him into a detox. <laughs> <laughs> got him into a get detox in Ellenville, New York. I never even heard of Ellenville, New York. Uh-huh. And this guy went to a place called Ellenville, New York. Then from Ellenville, New York, he went to this place called Veritas Villa in Cahonkson, New York. I never heard of Cahonkson, New York. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> but I said to him, and he was paying me back. He's making amends. And I told him there's a cop spot, a new cop spot right down the block. It's Mike, I'm clean. And that did something to me. Because uh, I know the type of guy. You were dealing he, with. Yeah. yeah. I knew where he'd been. He'd been in the same streets as I was. And to see him clean and sober did something to me, but not ready to get clean and sober. You know, I had to go through a little more pain. And what was that pain like? Oh, my what did you God. feel like as a person? Oh. Because I and I don't want to go into details. I don't want to explain something that you've said to me. But I like certain drugs. Yeah. You know, they appealed to me, and I don't know why. Cocaine was one of them. And you told me a story about someone offering you cocaine. And you looked at the guy and you said, fuck, no. Yeah. I don't want no part of that. And, I'm, and I was, I said, Mike, why? Do you remember that story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why did you say no to that? it think. I was doing too much dirty stuff out there to think. I didn't want to think at all. So my mm-hmm. drug was heroin. 
Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get as close to death as I could. If I heard somebody OD'd on Avenue A at first, I would be right there, man, trying to get that bag of dope. And I mean, I had, this sums it all up. I had a guy come up to me one day and put a gun to my head and said, give me all your money and drugs. I turned him, looking dead in the eye. I said, do me a favor, man, pull that trigger. He took off running. I said, man, I can't even do that. <laughs> Yeah. I just wanted the pain to go away. Yeah. And I was tired of hurting people. Mm-hmm. I was tired of hurting my mom. Mm-hmm. I was tired of hurting my wife. Being a disappointment. Being a disappointment. All they Promising. ever heard was the things. Oh, lies and mm-hmm. lies. My mom used to say, how do you know when Mike's lying? His lips are moving, man. Mm-hmm. And she was one of the most spiritual people I've ever met. Actually, today is the day of her death. Mm-hmm. She died two years ago. Okay. And, I'm sorry uh, to hear that. But it was magnificent. She fought COVID, tough, tough, tough old Irish lady. <laughs> uh-huh. She fought COVID. She was in a hospital. She called me up up here. She was down in Long Island. She called me up begging me to get her out of that hospital because no one can come near her. They all have, like, spacesuits because of COVID. She was the heart yeah. of COVID. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically my sister took her home basically to die. She didn't die. She got well. And she did amazing. And... She went the way she wanted to go. She died in her own bed in her sleep. Just the way she dreamt of doing it. I went down there. My sister called me. It was a Tuesday. I went down there because my sister said, Mom ain't doing good. So by the time I got down there, she had already passed. My brother-in-law said, Mike, go see your mom. I said, I don't want to go see my mom. She's dead. Mike, I'm telling you, go see your mom. Mm-hmm. I walked in my mom's room, and she was standing with her arms folded on her chest. Not a, and my brother-in-law said, Mike, look. The covers, there's not a wrinkle in these covers. She went in peace. Oh, my goodness. Just the way she wanted, man. <laughs> and it was beautiful. It was, and on the whole way home, I was thinking, you know what? I was a pretty good son. That's all I ever wanted, man. Because this woman would sleep with her pocketbook. I'd yeah. rob for my own mom. Me too. Man. Me too. That's not something I'm proud of. No. You know? But it is part of my story. Absolutely. I started stealing from my mother at such a young age, and I don't even know why. And then I just go out and get my friends McDonald's and get us all high together for no good reason, you know? Because I ain't right. When I made my amends to my mother, it was a huge plan in my head. I've been planning it since day one. And one of the things I want to talk to you about is so many. There's so <laughs> I want to talk to you about... Because you used to lead family groups at the villa. But anyways, we got a couple things running now. I'll try to loop them all together. But, so I go to make um, amends to my mother. She's asked me to go upstate to work on our family cabin that my grandfather built. It's a log cabin, log on log. You know, be- beautiful place. People want to go south for the winter. I want to go north for the summer. You know, I want to be up in the Adirondacks where wow. it's calm and where there's a lake and... So I have this whole plan. She wants me to build this little uh, shed over top of a propane tank so the snow doesn't fall off the roof and hit it and knock the pro, you know. <clears throat> so I want to make the amends, but I want to do it after I've done all this work to show her I'm different. Mm. You know, and, and, and <clears throat> I'm not saying at the time I was different, but boy, there was some willingness because she paid for me to go to that rehab. She, I mean, she threw so much money to try to fix what was wrong with me. So 
Um, and I spent my whole life taking from her. And the, yeah. the biggest thing I took was her emotional security. I thought it was the money. I thought it was all the, the things. Mm. And come to find out through this amends. So, anyways, I build it. Long story short, I build the shed. Everything's nice. Da, 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 da. Sunday, we're about to leave. I said, Ma, I'm a sober person in a 12-step program. Part of the thing is about amends. I don't want to go through everything that I ever did. She said, nah, we, <laughs> we, don't, <laughs> we don't have to. <laughs> I said, but I'm willing to do anything to make it right. And she just said, you're alive. That's your amends. Yeah, man. You're alive. You know? That's fucking 12 step. Yeah. Because yeah. all I... I it, and, and she also said, by the way, you owe me 4,000 bucks. But! Because <laughs> that's my mom. You know? And I got to have her on the program. I got to have my mother sit down in person to person and talk about her father's wow. alcoholism. And then watching her son grow up with alcoholism. What a gift that wow. is. Of, you know, amazing. That's why I love doing this thing that we're doing here right now. <laughs> I've got about 50 hours that I've put out for people to listen to. But what that means is I've spent 50 hours of this year sitting one-on-one -on -one with another alcoholic. Mm. How awesome, Mike. Unbelievable. So, wow. Um, so let's go back to where where you were, where you had that seed planted, um, you know, and and that person came to your job, and you saw him clean and sober for the first time. Clean and sober, and then I went. That was I'm not sure when that was, but my sister gave birth to a little beautiful little boy, mm -hmm. Owen, and uh, a couple of months after that, he was they were having a uh, christening for mm -hmm. him. I was dope sick, and I just felt like garbage to go to this christening, and I didn't have the strength to go. My older brother, who had four kids, didn't have a nickel to rub together, came over where I was living, a horrendous place to live. He came over and threw me 20 bucks. He said, Mike, go get right. I went and copped a bag of dope, got right. I went to this christening, and I felt like a piece of garbage, man. Really felt like a garbage. That night, I did what I needed to do to get more money. I went and copped a whole bunch of dough. Cooked it all up. I wanted to take the easy way out. Mm -hmm. And I was just all set to go. Something clicked, man. Moment of clarity or whatever they call it. None of this makes sense. No. I understand, no. but no, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> Something happened. You know, I did it all, but not yeah. all at once. Yeah. And I still wasn't ready. Uh-huh. When I was ready, it was, uh, I had a tough, tough holiday season. I'm not sure of all the particulars. I'm sure. I think, uh, I think I got in touch with my sister, and I told her about Fly. And uh, she called me. I told the whole events about this place, Ellenville, this place, Veritas Villa. And uh, she hung up on me. About an hour or two later, she called me back and said, Mike, I'm going to pick you up tomorrow morning. This is my story. That's what my sister did to me. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I'm like, <laughs> fuck. That's the wild part of this. My sister came that morning, next morning, and I went with her. Uh -huh. I don't know why. I was high as a kite. Oof. I had money. Oof. I had dope. I had just, I, I just carpet crawled for hours. I had saved two beers 
I never saved beers, but I knew I was going to rehab tomorrow. I didn't know I was going. I had a line of dirt. Did that line of dirt. Did the two beers, you know. Smoked some marijuana and off. And it's only a mile from here, Mike. And I looked I looked at my sister. I said, can we go to McDonald's or something first? Yeah. Hell no. Yeah, no. So, so you're on the ride up. On the ride up. As high as a kite. Mm-hmm. And she dropped me off at... Uh, Ellenville Detox. Which doesn't exist now. Don't it? And there was a doctor, Dr. D'Amico. Mm-hmm. And uh, this nurse came up and she said, I'm going to give you something for the, you're going to f- maybe feel a little uncomfortable. I said, give me two shots. I don't <laughs> Whatever. <care."> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was feeling good, man. Uh-huh. She gave me this thing called Narcan. Uh-huh. Wiped out all the obese in my system. Did you go into precipitated withdrawal? I went right into instant withdrawal. Whoa. Instant. And the doctor came in and said, Mike, we're going to make sure you don't die, but you're never going to forget my detox. I never Whoa. forgot that, man. Detox, man. <laughs> to this day, I remember that detox like it was yesterday. Really? Absolutely. Then my man Fly told me about this place called Veritas Villa. And my folks came up and they drove me from Ellenville Hospital to Veritas Villa. And I wasn't ready for something like this, man. Mm-mm. You know, they have this thing called the fishbowl. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting there. I never talked about nothing growing up. Nothing. And I've had a lot of stuff go down. But we never talked about nothing. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, I'm sitting with other men. They're talking about stuff they're not supposed to talk about. It's making me uncomfortable. Like what? Like their feelings? feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Feelings and things they've done and situations I just never ever ever talked about none of that stuff mm-hmm. and uh you know and I, I guess I was scaring people because I I was scary looking you know I, my beard was real long and my hair was real long and I had a lot of street armor mm-hmm. and I guess I was scaring people I didn't mean to and I was coming off a lot of narcotics and the owner called me in his office and he told me Mike uh you got to start following the rules and I said, what do you mean the rules? I said, well, the rules weren't hard. Show up for meetings five minutes early. You make your bed. Real simple stuff. Real simple stuff. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't like rules, man. Mm-hmm. And he told me, Mike, that door's not open, not locked. You can leave at any time. It's not a prison. No. As a matter of fact, I remember one counselor, there was an altercation. Mm. And he was not happy because... People are there trying to live for the first time, and these guys didn't give a shit. And he said, I'll drive you to the shooting gallery. I'll drive you to your baby mamas. I'll take you right to the crack spot. You do not have to be here. Did that message that he said that the door wasn't locked have an impact on you? It major, because what he said was, if he believed that good-ass kicking would work, he would kick my ass right then and there. (laughs) You just had the ass kicked in from D'Amico. <laughs> and I just looked at him. I said, that ain't going to work, man. Mm-hmm. And he said, just follow the rules. And I just seen love in his eyes. And I knew what laid outside that door. I knew the lifestyle that I came from. I didn't know what was happening in here, except the thing I saw my man fly. He came out with a piece in his eyes that triggered something inside Didn't me. make sense. Didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. But I was willing to give it a shot because my life was so bad, man. Your life sucked. Sucked. Awful. Unbelievable. You would, would you, is there anyone you could think of 
and you know, we don't talk politics or anything, you know, even a politician. Is there anyone you could think of that you would wish that life on that no. you were living? Nobody. 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 Because I just wanted the pain to go away. And I didn't believe in this whole God thing because when you're in the villa, you look up, there's mm -hmm. steps, right 12 there. steps, and God and spirituality all around, saints. And I said, man, this place ain't for me, man. I don't believe in this whole God thing. But the first time in my life, I spoke about it. I told people I don't believe in this stuff, man. They told me it's okay. It's okay. And they laid everything out for me. And, uh, you know, my wife, we, she had taken off because of my addiction. And at the family program, she came back. Is that the same person you're with now? Yeah. Yeah. She saw you then? She knew me then. Okay, that's also part of my story. Yeah, she knew me then. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then she came up to the villa. For the fit for a, for a, family so program. at the villa, the rehab that we both happen to be graduates of. Look at us, <laughs> we graduated the same school. They have that family program. Yes. So she came up. She came up, and something happened. You know, it wasn't about to talk just to get back in the house again. Mm -hmm. you no, know, she seen something different. Mm -hmm. She said, "That uh, she give me a shot," but the counselor said, "No major decisions." For a year. Which also includes not getting a divorce. Not getting a divorce, not getting I, married. Because <laughs> I've talked about this on the podcast with Katie. I don't know if you know Katie. She she, she hangs up, up at Ryan House quite a bit. She's younger. Artist. Absolute sweetheart. Artist. I do know Katie. She's beautiful. She's an incredible human being. Yes, she She's is. so passionate about her recovery. She brought me cookies. You didn't bring me cookies. I'm not mad at you. Like, you brought a, a message about the 12 steps and about recovery and about change that carries depth and weight. Mm. Um, so did Katie. But I said to her, <laughs> and cookies. But so, <laughs> but I said to her, I was so afraid that I saw a movie where they tell you no relationships for the first year. Mm. That it wasn't until I almost had, you know, 90 days clean and sober outside of the villa, you know, that I started talking about um, being married, you know, because I thought you guys were going to tell me that I had to get a divorce, no relationships. <laughs> he said, no, no major decisions. No major decisions for the first year. Yeah, man. They tell you no major decisions and they tell you to change absolutely everything about your life. <laughs> <laughs> feels like a major decision. <laughs> Not drinking felt like a major decision. It was. I didn't know. I wanted to get off the drugs because the drugs was ruining everything. Mm -hmm. And I owed too many people money. And I, it just, I did terrible things on drugs, you know. So that I knew that had to go. But I wasn't ready to stop drinking. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. I, I went to the villa to stop the trouble, you know. The trouble inside, the trouble outside. I actually had no hope it would work. Somewhere, you got, you were part of this, convinced me. It's like, I remember calling her, and I talk about this all the time, you know, calling her up and being like, I don't think I'm supposed to drink when I get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going to drink every day for the rest of my life. I'm just yeah. a drinker. That's just part of my, that's who I am. I mean, I didn't even do drugs until I had enough, you know, blood alcohol system, you know? Um so you're at so you have the experience with um your wife at the family thing. What's yeah. it like getting out of there at the villa? Any fear? 
Scared to death. Scared to death. And I was still working down in Lower East Side because uh, mm -hmm. I worked for the city. Mm -hmm. And I remember going to my counselor. Look, I got to quit my job. I can't work down in Lower East Side of Manhattan. It's infested with dope. It's infested with negativity. And he started laughing at me. He said, Mike, us as alcoholics and drug addicts, we can get high anywhere on the Sahara Desert if we mm -hmm. want. We're clever mm -hmm. people. Oh, hell yeah. He said, we can get clean and sober anywhere. How bad do you want this? Then he reminded me. He said, Mike, you really have no education. Criminal history ain't the best. You got a damn good job. Where the hell are you going to go? So I was able to go back down to the Lower East Side to work. I found meetings right next door to where I used to cop dope, you know. Mm -hmm. And I wanted this more than I wanted to get high. Do you think there was any mistakes you made in those first couple days? Is there anything you'd do differently? You know what? I, I, I didn't work for quite a while. Mm-hmm. I moved in with my sister down in Long Beach. Mm -hmm. And I walked that beach, man. I would just walk because my mind was just so racing. Mm -hmm. And I was scared to death. I didn't know what to do. I was going to meetings all the time. And I met a man who, because uh, they really laid everything you needed to recover in a villa. Mm -hmm. And they told me exactly what to do. It's <sighs> Last week we talked about, with Fernando about how they let you recover with dignity. Mm. But the other thing they did, and I'm glad you brought it up, was they gave you an education. When I left there, I knew what it was going to take for me to have a shot. They didn't promise me a damn thing, but I got promised a shot and I was told to do certain things. Everyone's talked about 90 for 90. And I was willing to try that, yeah. I really was. Get the steps. You got to do them steps. Get a sponsor. And they said, um, when you're at those meetings, you got to raise your hand. You got to let people know who you are. And probably unlike you, I was, <laughs> I was willing to raise my hand. You actually couldn't <laughs> shut me up. <laughs> hey, I'm Willie. I'm alcoholic. I'm garbage. I'm, I'm so dang grateful to be here. I'm going to talk to every single one of you after the meeting. You know, I just couldn't stop. I'd never felt like that before. Uh, it, was, it was a, someone said a pink cloud. I said, that's what this is. I'm on a pink cloud. This is great. Yeah. With me, it was totally different. What was I it was like? Scared to death. Mm -hmm. And then actually, my, one of my, my roommates, uh, stuff went down in the villa. My counselor took me in his office and he just looked at me. He said, Mike, you're going to die. I didn't pray to die that morning. I said, I don't want to die. How do I live? He says, get involved in this program. I said, how do I do that? Raise your hand. I said, raise my hand. I ain't got nothing to say. Tell people that. Tell people you don't know how to talk without drinking or getting high. And when you leave here, sit up front in the meeting. Get there mm -hmm. early. Sit up front. This way, if you do get the nerve to raise your hand, it's only you and the speaker. That has carried me through. To this day, I sit up front, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you do. I'm not comfortable around people. I get there early so everyone will turn around and look at me. And that's only me and the speaker. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you did some of those things. Did those. Because you know what? I was desperate. I had the gift of desperation they talk about, mm -hmm. you know. And I didn't believe none of this stuff. Mm -hmm. But I just made a vow to myself. Look, I'm going to do all this stuff that this villa told me to do. And I'm going to prove it don't work. Then I'm going to come back, stand on this goddamn stage, and tell everybody, you know what? I did everything you told me to do, 
this don't work, man. But I'm here to tell you this works. I left, I got a sponsor. I, I came to meetings, I was scared to death. And I watched this guy with a piece about him I ain't never seen before. Mm -hmm. I finally got the nerve to go up and ask this man for help. One of the scariest times of my life. I was going to abandoned buildings in Copto. Yeah, I was going to say, you've seen oh, everything at that God, point. didn't phase me, nothing phased But peace me. wasn't something you'd... He scared the heck out of me because I didn't think I'd get it. I wasn't worthy of it. Mm -hmm. I wasn't worthy of this man. Because at the end, I stayed away from good people. I had a lot of worthy people in my life. And you knew you were a scumbag. I was scum. I, I, would, I felt like poison. And I don't want so to poison you. I'll right. stay away from you. And if you don't believe me that I'm poison, I'll give you a taste of it. Yeah. I'll and give you a taste you. of the type you of scumbag I am. I am so we had this little away. young woman come up where we were hanging out in this park. Mm -hmm. And she invited us to a, a whole slew of them, came over to invite us to her house to a Bible study. I looked at this girl and said, you don't want us near your home. You don't want these guys near your home. No, no, we really do. I said, no, you don't. Because I knew what I was capable of when I'm drinking and getting high. I knew what these guys are capable of. Mm -hmm. And this woman walked away. and that's, So I stayed away from good people. I tried to, man. This man with this piece, and I've heard you talk about him before, and I want to talk about him, but what I've never gotten to ask you is, when you recognized the piece, did you also recognize that that piece wasn't something that was always part of his life? I don't know. I just knew. I don't know. Something gave okay. me the nerve to ask him mm -hmm. for help. Mm -hmm. Walked up to him, sweating and shaking. Will you be my, 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 my sponsor? <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. And he said, Mike, if you'd like me to help you, he said, absolutely. He said, if you'd like me to help you, I'd like you to go home and read two pages of the big book a night. That scared the hell out of me. I said, George, you see the size of that book, man? Because books and literature and school, my whole life intimidated me. Mm -hmm. And he's seen it. And he just said, Mike, you don't need to read nothing. We'll read it together. That's what he did. And I said, I want what you got. And he said, oh, really? This is what I do. And he told me, Exactly what he did. He went through the 12 steps. He takes men through the 12 steps. He go, brings meetings into detoxes and prisons. Every morning he hits his knees, and I jumped up right away. I said, George, I don't believe in your God. I don't want, I don't believe in prayer. He said, Mike, you asked me what I, you want what I got. Your life sucks. Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I said, you know what, you got a point, man. He said, you came to me. All I'm doing mm -hmm. is telling you what I do. Mm -hmm. I said, all right. He said, I get up every morning, I hit my knees. Asked to be the best man he could be for that day. He tries to live that way. And the night before he goes to bed, reflects on his day. If he can honestly say he wasn't such a bad guy for that day, he could lay his head down and go to sleep in peace. I don't think I had a peaceful night's sleep since I was 11 years old. I've had boogeymen in my mind and anxiety and fears my whole life. That the only thing that ever worked was drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. And then it didn't. Then it, it didn't. gave no relief. And it didn't. Then it gave no relief. And I wanted that peace, man. I wanted that. And I told him, I don't believe in this stuff. It's like, you don't need to believe in nothing. Do you believe that I believe? I said, you got something, George. He said, that's all you need. Are you willing? I said, absolutely. I said, but I hear in meetings all this stuff. You can't go on to none of these stuff until you got the one before. He said, Mike, 
just listen to me. We're going to follow what the big book tells us to do, man. Mm-hmm. You know, and I. That's and the textbook. It's a textbook. And mm-hmm. that's all we did. We followed it. And I, we get to the first and second step and third step. And he just said, Mike, just start writing, man. Just stop writing. Everyone who pissed you off. And he just made it so, so simple. Mm-hmm. So I wrote all this stuff down. And we sat. I'll never forget it. We sat in his kitchen. His wife came over with tea. She had candles going. And then she left. And uh, we did the fifth step together. And he said, Mike, one thing I got to tell you is you got to do service, man. Because you hurt a lot of people you're not going to be able to make right. Service is the key. So you're going to find your peace by doing service, man. Mm-hmm. Did, you, he, did you know what he meant? Oh, yeah. You did know what he meant. About service. I did, but I didn't. Okay. You know, I didn't really know, but I, I knew he was telling me something. And That I, was true. It was true. He had your trust. Had my, and that's one of the first things he said to me when we met. He said to me, Mike, do you trust me? I, I didn't even know the man. I said, George, I really believe I, I do trust you for some reason. Because <laughs> that, I'm you not. You don't trust, trust anybody. I don't trust myself yep. or the people I yep. ran with. This man I trusted. Then the crazy part is, after I got to know him, he said to me, Mike, you know what I did for a living? I said, I don't have a clue, because you don't know who people in recovery right, do for a living. Right. He said, I'm a retired cop. I said, man, I'm glad you didn't tell me that before. <laughs> <laughs> I would have prejudged the man. Of course. You know, and this man just gently guided me, lovingly. Mm-hmm. And this is where he said, he said, uh, Mike, you wrote all this stuff down, right? I said, yeah. You shouldn't be here. Something's been protecting you for a long time. Stop fighting it, man. And it's like he hit me upside the head with a bat. He said, don't get lost in a word. That God word messed my head up, man. He said, witness, when two or more of us come together, there's a power there. Which is undeniable. Undeniable. You re- it's a undeniable. I, I, it's something I can't explain, but I've seen it over and over again. Just a week ago, my dad was coming home from the hospital, calls me up. He's got 20 minutes, and I, I just told the story, but he got 20 minutes to get to the house, and I, he needs me to help him. Hmm. I, I'm in a complete panic, and my phone, just I just started dialing people. And the people in recovery showed up to be there to help me pick my father up and get him into the house. Now, he's only there for 24 hours, and he wound up going back. But the way that felt to have people in recovery, just random alcoholics and addicts, and I know they love me, and you know, and I love them back. And, you know, we say things like that. You look another man in the eye and say, you know, I love you, brother. Yeah, man. That's crazy talk. You don't, you don't, you're not raised to talk like that, you know? You know, it just happened to me Monday. Mm-hmm. I was in jail, and we were doing our meeting. We got, we, I run a meeting in jails called Freedom Fighters, mm-hmm. and I'm watching guys recover right in front of me. And one guy just had a share, and he starts opening up, and he's, he'll be doing like 30 years in prison right now. Mm-hmm. But he talked about the events got him where he's at now and one of the other guys just looked at him and said that's god man that is god looking out for you and it was like 
Next thing I know, there's a tear coming down his eyes. He said, don't screw this up. I just sat back and I witnessed, just like my man George told me. I mm-hmm. witnessed the power. Two or more of us get together, man. Like you said, it's undeniable. Mm-hmm. It's undeniable. And to witness it is beautiful. And it tells us something we should not miss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's a fellowship that I craved my whole life. I didn't know I even wanted it. Yeah. I didn't deserve it. I didn't believe I deserved this, you know. So so what um so what happens next? You know? I go through the steps and, and life starts happening. Mm-hmm. You know, we were in a little tiny studio apartment in Queens, me and my wife, and uh we're on a camping trip and she wakes up sick every morning. I said, oh, this witch is just trying to ruin my vacation because it's all about me. (laughs) (laughs) We come back, we find out she's pregnant. Mm. And she goes for a sonogram. She comes back, and she's hysterical crying. And she said, I said, what's wrong? She said, Mike, it's more than one. I said, beautiful twins. It runs in my family, twins. Mike, it's more than two. Ended up being triplet girls, man. And it's... uh, (laughs) You know, you hear this thing, God don't give you more than you can handle just for today. I heard it put different. I heard it put different, too. Yeah, he does give us more than we can handle. Why else would you need God? Yeah. I just told a friend that the other day. Yeah, man. Chris, if you're listening, you know, (laughs) clean and sober, got a little time under his belt. He's a crazy, crazy dude. You're going through a lot? I said, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Everyone ever told you that? He said it all the time. I said, it's bullshit. Yeah. If he didn't, why would you need a God in your life? Why would you need a power greater than yourself? Check this out, Mike, real quick. There's a little oh, mama man. deer and a little baby deer following. <laughs> they heard us talking about God. Uh-huh. They felt uh, comfortable coming in. Hey, let's hang out. <laughs> so what's it feel like to be told you got triplet daughters? Any fear involved in that? Complete fear complete fear. You wouldn't trust me with a plant before <laughs> having a triplet girl. <laughs> how much sobriety, how, how much experience did you have being sober at that point? I got clean and sober in uh, March of 85 and they were born in 88. Wow. 86 I got married mm-hmm. and then in January of 88 my girls were born and they were born real small, real premature. And uh, I ran, man. I ran to meetings, though. Okay. And I talked to people about how fearful I was, man. You know, someone suggested I write to companies because people would tell me the price of diapers, price of formula, all the different stuff that comes with a baby. Now, triple that, it didn't work with my paycheck, man. You know, so someone suggested I write different companies and just tell them what's happening because it wasn't like fertility. It was... God's way of saying, you know what? We believe you could have this man. <laughs> so I start writing all these different companies. And, uh, and you know, the crazy part is also, it's just the love of people, like you said, mm-hmm. coming together. You know, and I got, I was involved in a youth program at the time. So did you have any um, slip-ups with drugs or alcohol after 85? No. That's unbelievable. No. What, what's your sober date? March 15th. Uh, 1985. Yeah! <laughs> Sorry, everybody listens. They know that was. They know that's like a, we're always waiting for that moment. Sorry. Um, and you know, it's I amazing. Them. 
I begged them to keep me in there for St. Patty's Day. Mm-hmm. And they said, you're ready. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was scared to death, man. Scared to death. So it's 88 and your daughters are about to be born. What Did any good come from writing those companies? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, one company gave us buy one, get two free. And it was like high chairs that you clip to the table. <laughs> What's more perfect than that for triplet girls? <laughs> and one formula company called me up and said, uh, Mike, one of the girls born, and they were born premature. I said, they're already here, man. They're in New York Hospital. I said, wow, beautiful. We got a representative up in New York Hospital. Next time I went to see my girls, it was all of this formula under their what? cribs. They gave us f- formula for a year for free. What? And I remember our doctor telling us. That was a suggestion that came from one of us? Yeah, to write all these different companies. Then I met a guy in N.A. Mm -hmm. who, he became a pharmacist because he liked to make his own drugs. Yeah, my (laughs) kind of guy. (laughs) I met him in the rooms, and he told me, Mike, just come with your prescription form. I'll give you all the diapers you need. I was getting all these free diapers. And I went to see him one day, and there was a woman at the drugstore. His drugstore was right down the block from me in Glen Oaks, Queens. And he wasn't there. I said, where's Stu? Oh, you didn't hear Stu overdosed two nights ago. He ended up dying of this deadly disease, man. Unbelievable. But he gave me diapers and formula. My doctor told me, Mike, when they were about nine months old, the doctor said, Mike, you, you don't need formula no more because you can start giving them regular milk. And f- I said, Doc, I'm getting it free. So Mike, give them formulas first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's just those, like, wake-up calls, man. You know, I remember one time I was just tired of changing crappy diapers, man. It just had me. I remember my sponsor calling me, Mike, how you doing? I just blurted all this stuff out. I was tired, man. I wanted to run, and I was saying, I'm tired. Mike, you ain't changing crappy diapers, man. You're making your daughters feel more comfortable. All of a sudden, Whoa. it was just, just so simple. Another time, my girls, I worked nights. My wife worked day, so I had the girls all during the day. And I went to Jack Lane, and uh, the guy sat me down, and he said, what's, your, uh, what's the reason you're coming to Jack Lane? I said, you want me to be truthful? He said, yeah, yeah. What brings you to Jack Lane? You want to build up your chest? You want to build up? I said, I heard you got free babysitting. He said, what? I heard you got free babysitting. <laughs> so I take my girls, my triplet daughters, to Jack Lane, and the woman at Jack Lane loved my girls, man. She would tell me, Mike, you don't need to work out. Just come here, go in the jacuzzi, sit in the shower, just relax for a while, man. I've had all these angels. Put in my life, man. You know, it's... I got, I got a question. Why? Why? Why do you think? I'm worthy. Wow. My whole life I didn't believe I was worthy, man. Jesus, man. I'm a piece of garbage. and uh... Don't break me. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> I, I mean, you... If someone listening, you know, Mike looked me dead in the eyes when he said that, and you meant that with every bit of you. Mm-hmm. I guess the recovery's not bullshit, is it? It ain't bullshit at all, man. And I wish it for everybody. Mm-hmm. I wish it for everybody, man. 
So there's two more things I, I just really want to talk about, Mike. I mean, how did you get involved giving back to the villa? Like, you, you didn't have a case act, right? You didn't go to the—or did you? Well, let me tell you. I was, I was working for the city. Mm -hmm. I had about three more years to get until uh, I retired. My daughter called me up. She said, Pop, what are you going to do when you grow up? I said, Kate, I don't know, man. And uh, she said, why don't you go to school and become work with kids? Because I, oh, I always loved kids, man, because I was a knucklehead kid. And uh, I said, nah, nah, I'm not a school kid. So that night I was going into Freeport with a buddy of mine who was speaking at a homeless shelter in Freeport, Long Island. How'd you like speaking at places like that? I loved it. Loved it. Me too. I love it. That's I love the jail. Best. Yeah. I love, I love trying to talk. I love talking about recovery. Me too. You know, I really do. Cause Me too. I'm not a big talker. I don't talk a lot. <laughs> you think you're not. <laughs> I, but, but, but your recovery, words have an impact. But they recovery, stay. I love it, man. Mm -hmm. I love it. Love mm -hmm. it. So I was telling this guy about what my daughter said. And he said, Mike, I know a woman in Queens who runs this program uh, of and I ended up going through that. I okay. was scared to death, man. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was the first day of school. I was scared to death. My daughters, two of my daughters were going to college up in New Paltz. And my daughter, Katie, called me up. And she said, uh, Pop, how you doing? I said, Katie, I ain't doing good, man. I don't want to walk through that door. I'm scared to go in through the door. She said, Pop, tell them that. I said, tell them that. Yeah. All right. Walked up to the door. This big guy was at the door welcoming me to school. And I said, you know what? I ain't a school kid, man. I'm scared to death. He said, welcome. We'll, help. we'll have people help you with everything. And they did. They helped me with all my schoolwork, all my tests. Mm -hmm. And they said to me, because they were watching. People are watching whether I'm doing the right thing or the wrong thing. They were watching. And they said to me, who do you want to work with? I'd love to work with kids, man, because I was a knucklehead kid. I said, wow, we got an internship downstairs. I started working with these kids. One of the first kids that I was sitting there across from, big kid from the projects, big, powerful kid in the gang, wasn't going to school, he sits down across from me, got an attitude, and he said, mister, dead in the eye, mister, I was taught not to trust people like you. I said, oh, really? Me too. Hey, we can trust each other, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and something happened that day, mm -hmm. you know? And I said to him, I said, uh, I'd work this program with him. I said, could you, you think you can go to school tomorrow? Mr. Mike, what are you talking about? I got to make up all this stuff. I said, I don't care what you got to make up. Can you go to school tomorrow? Looking at me, I said, I'm going to ask you to stand up and shake my hand if you're gonna go to school tomorrow. If not, I'm cool with it too. Looking at me with his hot head cocked and he says, stood up. Mr. Mike, I'm gonna go to school tomorrow. I said, beautiful. Comes in the next day all excited. He went to school that day. I said, can you go to school tomorrow? What? Can you go to school tomorrow? <laughs> he went to school the next day. Uh -huh. And he, I got people to help him with his homework and his tests. And he graduated the program. Three years later, he came back to look me up, man. And he said, Mike, I'm in college, man. Get out of here. <laughs> one day at a time, Having, one day of school at a time. Having good 
Role models is so critical. It's something we really all need in this world. And the crazy part is, I've had them. Mm -hmm. I had a pop who was amazing. Mm -hmm. I had too. brothers who were stand-up people. But I looked at the guy on the street. That street, that's why we're different. It is. We think different. I'm from the same mm -hmm. family. Mm -hmm. Yet my head is different. You know? It is. And I've learned to accept that in these rooms, man, through the 12 steps. So how do you go from that kid to the villa? That dark, dark kid to the villa? Yeah, how do you wind up working up at, at the villa oh, where I met you? Oh. Yeah, bro. <laughs> That's what I want to know. All right. How did I meet you? All right. <laughs> I come up here, move up here. Uh -huh. I was coming up here. We come from the city. Me and the wife, we retire. We come up here. I meet a guy at one of the meetings in Kingston. And he said he knew I had a case act. He said, Mike, you don't retirement. I said, no, I like retirement, man. He said, why don't you come to the villa? Meet Sue. I said, no, nah, man. He said, what do you got to lose? I said, all right. Set up an appointment to sit down. They tell me they have a, they need somebody 40 hours. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I can't give you 40 hours. I'm busy. I got freaking babysitting. I got things to do, man. I can't commit to a uh -huh. job. <laughs> uh -huh. And she says, we'll take you. We'll take the one day. I started working every Monday. Mm -hmm. I was loving it. I come every Monday, and I was loving it, man. Loving it. Then they invited me to the family program to sit oh, in on a family program. I did that family program two weeks in a row. One I weekend. That. You remember? Yeah. I always wonder if you guys remember <laughs> stuff like that. One weekend I had her and my son. And the next weekend I had my mother and my brother. I remember that. And my mother made an amends to me. Yeah. I never yeah. expected in a mill. My heart dropped right down out of. I just, she apologized for medicating me so heavily my entire life. Yeah. She said, I was always trying to fix you, and now these guys taught me that you're alcoholic. Yeah. And that's what was going on this whole time. Spiritual sickness. Not a chemical, man. It, well, I, didn't, I did not suffer from lack of this medication disease. Yeah. I suffered from this spiritual disease. Yeah. Yeah, they know. Which drugs and alcohol is just, just a symptom, bro. Yeah. Because at first, it just made my brain quiet. And then when that didn't make my brain quiet, I had to go to the next thing to make my brain quiet. And then all of a sudden, I'm putting, I'm drinking, doing K, doing Coke, yeah. taking mushrooms. Trying to get right. Smoking yeah. DMT to try to meet God. All in the same, you know, couple breaths and nothing's working. I'm, yeah. I, I, Mike, I was out there in that barn. It was only a couple weeks before I got in the villa, and I've been smoking DMT because I'm trying to I'm trying to fucking escape the planet, dude. Uh -huh. And it's one of the strongest, most potent psychedelics on the planet, DMT. And you, you smoke it like crack, but you just leave. And I kept going to this place, and it was talking to God and aliens and the devil and all this shit. And I'm thinking it's magical, right? Mm -hmm. But it only lasts about 10 minutes, and you come back. Well, and most people do that one time, they ain't never going to do that again. I kept doing it. And I remember I smoked the thing, and um, I get up to these beautiful pearly gates, like something you'd imagine out of, like, the Bible or something, you know? And as I get up to the gates, the gates just slammed in front of me. 
And the people on the other side said, you ain't allowed in here anymore. Mm. Basically, they were telling me, if you want a spiritual solution, you've been cheating. This ain't the way in. No way. I fucking came out of that crying, snot coming out of my nose, rolling around in hay, drinking everything I could get. They told me I wasn't no good. Mm. Recovery gives me a path to spirituality that works. Yeah. That stuff I was doing, someone in a meeting told me, oh, that's spiritual pornography. Mm. I said, holy shit. That's exactly what that was. You know, but I just couldn't find a way to make peace with who I wanted to be for my wife and my son and who I was becoming, mm. which was someone that I knew that they needed to get away from because that was a bad dude. Now, because I put my recovery first, Mike, and I do, brother. I mean, I... I see that. Yeah. I do. Me too. I get to be dad. I get to... I, I got to watch my son graduate from high school. You know? Yeah, man. Can't take that from me, man. I was sober for that. I get to take him to places. We went to Puerto Rico in, in December. I didn't never once think about taking a drink. Why would I do that? I got to show, you know, I mean, she, she used to spend her summers down there in Puerto Rico. And I would I spent my summers up north in the Adirondacks. Mm -hmm. She spent her summers in Puerto Rico. <clears throat> so we we got to drive to her little town that she, you know, and it's, a, you know, a little, it's like a, a, a Kerhonkson, but in Puerto Rico. Little mm -hmm. nowhere town right on the coast. And they just keep getting hit by hurricane and hurricane and hurricane. And I got to give her that experience, you know, in sobriety, being there with my family, you know. One of the first things my sponsor ever told me, he said, Mike, no more regrets. Make mm -hmm. memories. Yeah. Yeah. So I came in here with so many regrets, man. Mm -hmm. Now it's about making the memories. Mm -hmm. Joy of living. Mm -hmm. The theme behind these 12 steps, man, I was not living. I was out there running around in the street. <laughs> Not with Joy. <laughs> Unless it was one of the girls you met's name was Joy. <laughs> um All right. The, the the and I don't want to take too much of your time. But um what did that program mean to you? The family, family program? program? Oh my god. And then I'm gonna ask you One thing at a time. I don't want to overload my brain too much. It's the same thing. <laughs> um you know What's it like now that you're not working at the villa? Mm. Well, the family program was a big part of my life. I'd go there every Saturday, and I just witnessed the power. Like my man George told me when we did that fifth step, Mike, Mike stopped fighting it, witnessed the power. And I'd walk out of there, I'd be exhausted. There was one time that uh, we were all getting together, and at lunch, after we came back from lunch, one of the women, who was, her husband was up there, and she came up after lunch. She said, I got to tell everybody something. I got divorce papers in my car. I was going to give them to my husband in here because I knew it was a safe place. But I see something different in him. He's not the words. He's, I see something different. I'm going to give him a shot. About six months later, we have to walk over to Hudson. Same shot you got. What? Same shot I got. Wow. And uh, we're doing a walk over to Hudson. This guy and his wife, they're there with their two boys, and they are together in recovery, man. Both excited to be there. 
be a part of this journey of recovery, man. You know, it's it's beyond words to witness that beyond words. And it was just a big, big, big part of my mm-hmm. my life back then. And we'd leave, and it was either me, uh, Mary, or Sue. We'd look at each other and say, mm-hmm. I don't know who gets more out of this, them or us. Because mm-hmm. we would be, I'd be tired, mm-hmm. real tired. Drained, real tired. But uh, just a fulfillment. I had this one young man, he was 10 years old there for his dad, when we're doing the writing to the disease, because that's what we did. We Families would write to the disease, not the person in there. They'd write a letter to the disease. Mm-hmm. This one young man, 10 years old, looked at me, he said, Mr., can I curse? I said, absolutely. Curse <laughs> as much as you want. <laughs> and some, some of the guys would say... Michael, look at what they're saying about me. I said, they ain't saying that about you. They're saying about alcohol or drugs, man. It's up to you whether you live that anymore or not, man. Do you remember what the kid said? A lot of cursing. <laughs> <laughs> wow. A lot of cursing. A lot of cursing. <laughs> <laughs> Which this disease deserves a lot of cursing, man. Yeah, it does. You know, because it sucks. It's powerful. Cunning. I love being alcoholic because of my fellow alcoholics. You know, I hate the disease. I do man. too. I do too. But to watch someone come in a broken human being and incorporate these 12 steps in their life and to watch them blossom, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, uh, and also going to go with this is uh, the power. You know, I've seen and witnessed a lot of death, man. A lot, 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 lot of death. Too much. Too much. Too, too much, man. Too I, much. I'd much rather see the recovery, but uh, like you said, it takes work. It's, it's almost as powerful on both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and wishing, wishing. So I was gonna ask you about what it was, what it's like now without the villa, but I think you've kind of told us. Yeah. You know, going to prisons, continuing to carry the message. I stay busy, stay busy. But I will ask you one more question, and we'll end with this. Okay. All right. All right. Unless you got more you want to share, <laughs> I'm good. I think it's perfect. <laughs> I can't thank you enough. Oh man, thank I've you. been looking forward to this. I know that. There's people in recovery that listen to this. There's people that are curious about recovery that listen to this. And there's people that might just, they may, hey, it just may happen that they just happen to be entertained. And that's the only, and that's fine. I don't give a shit. Don't matter. But I get every now and then someone tell, oh, I heard this. That, that, that's nice. That's real nice. I do it selfishly because I, I, lo- I can't wait. I listen to this thing and I love it. Now I got your message on tape, the same message that helped change my life. The same message that helped me go into a meeting looking for peace. That's what I wanted to say. Yeah. I was sponsor shopping. So where's the man with the peace in his eyes? Where's that guy? I found him. I found him. Yeah. I found him. And I love him to death. He's up in Massachusetts. His name's Tracy. Yeah, man. Uh, apps. He's not my sponsor right now, but he's one of the biggest people that take space in my heart. I yeah. just love him. And then, like you with the police officer... When he found out he was a police officer, I spent my life working with these carpenters, man. I hated carpenters. Don't ask me why. <laughs> and I find out I'm doing that fifth step. What do you do for a living? I make cabinets. Fuck, fuck. 
<laughs> but um, so I'm glad to have your message. Mm. You know, I'm glad that I'm glad that I can listen. I can maybe, you know, if my wife and my son gets an up, you know, need. I'm glad to have a recording of it. So I appreciate that because it has meant a lot to me. Um, but the last question is, <laughs> do you have a good life? Unbelievable. Unbelievable, man. Mm -hmm. I couldn't even put it into words, man. I really can't. I got three beautiful daughters, beautiful wife. I got uh, six grandkids. <laughs> <laughs> One's coming Next yeah. month. Yeah. And I could be there, man. Mm -hmm. You know, I could be this program, these 12 steps allow me to be present. You know, and it's, it's beyond words, man. If anyone's out there struggling, I would love to. I mean, you can give my phone number to anyone, Willie. Really? Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Man. In the name of recovery. In the name of recovery. Yeah. Yeah. I love I that, will. Mike. All right. I'm going to take us out. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't so bad, right? It wasn't so bad. Thank it's you good. so much, Mike. Willie, thank you. I love you, brother. I love you too, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The Willie Show Recovery Stories Podcast. guest Mike thank you to my very own webmaster Zeta you know how many emails we got like three people congratulating you Kurt congratulated you I, did. I got some messages you got too. some text messages yeah thank you to everybody that reached out to congratulate Zeta nice. I appreciate it never love ne oh sorry I'm doing it oh yeah, you just so. I did really good past couple weeks with the interviews, not cutting people off. <laughs> not I, cutting me off. <laughs> I just want everyone to know, next week we're bringing on a newcomer, and I'm going to get real excited, Uh-oh. and I'm going to cut them off all the time. I'm just, I'm, no breaks. I'm, just, I'm, I'm not letting them finish anything. You have been warned. You've been warned. <laughs> Tune in next week. <laughs>